Today is a significant day for this city and for this nation. The integrated plan that we are announcing today is a city and nation building plan. Cabinet has met and now endorsed tunnel light rail for the city centre to Mangere Corridor. Yep, that's right, light rail again. Aucklanders have heard the light rail promise before. In fact, there's been so many press releases about it, they reach for over seven metres when laid back to back. Now, I'm not entirely convinced that this is going to go the whole way and that this project will actually ever get started. Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang and today on The Detail, the government's new $14.6 billion light rail plan. The government has announced the Super Cities light rail project will run under the city from Winyard Quarter to Mount Roskill before surfacing and running alongside State Highway 20 to the airport. Transport Minister Michael Wood and Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Minister Grant Robertson made the announcement last week, calling it the most important infrastructure project that New Zealand has ever undertaken. So how did we get here after a decade of back and forth, and is it really the best bang for our buck when there's a 50% chance the cost will end up higher? Typically these projects overseas run from 60 to $150 million per kilometre to build. What's proposed here is close to $300 million per kilometre, so almost twice what, what even the high end of other cities are. Yeah, so uh, I, I've got sort of very mixed feelings about it. That's Matt Lowry, the Director of Urban and Transport Advocacy Group Greater Auckland. On one hand, I'm really happy that the government have committed to investing $15 billion in public transport in Auckland. That's something that, that is unheard of. And even you know, last week, advocates wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought would have been possible to achieve in Auckland. And so it's really positive that the government have done that. But at the same time, I think it's also a really potentially a missed opportunity for Auckland to, to get a be- even better outcomes from for that kind of a, that scale of investment. And that is because uh, there, there are other options that we could have delivered, and that would have meant we could have built a range of other things as well. So it's not just about light rail, it's also about you know, how do we serve uh, East Auckland and how do we serve other parts of, of you know, West Auckland and North Shore and, and other areas, and can we achieve those things as well as getting a good outcome here as well. And that's what I think is the, the part that's been, I've been slightly disappointed about is that there's this huge opportunity cost that comes with such a large investment in a single project. And we'll get to some of those other options um, soon, but what is actually in this new plan that the government's announced? Uh, Light rail has been discussed for quite some time, and it's probably useful to understand what that means, first of all. And that is, light rail is is typically uh, using a tram-style vehicle. Uh, It doesn't have to be, though. That runs partly in the road corridor, but it is separated from traffic, so almost like dedicated, dedicated lanes, it might be raised on a, on a slight curb or what have you, but separated from traffic, but running with vehicles that can run you know, through intersections, which helps it save a lot of cost. What the government have announced is a light rail project, but with a large portion of that being in a tunnel through the, through the central isthmus. And what that means is it brings the cost up quite considerably. We, we see with the city rail link, we're, we're currently spending $4.4 billion to build a, just a short line through the, the city centre. Mm. Um, and that's because it's quite a tricky area to build through, we're going to have to do that again, plus more than twice the length of tunnelling to, to achieve this project on top of the rest of it. Um, so it is quite challenging, and it's not something that cities typically do. Uh, you know, the, the benefit of light rail 
over you know, and other forms of, of rail and tunneling and what have you is that you you can save the money you can you can you can run on the streets in places you can uh, do that whereas by going through this option that they're bond for you, you, you commit yourself to a lot of infrastructure build um, and that's, that's quite risky and it can take quite a long time to deliver. The route travels underground from downtown Auckland through the university precinct to Mount Roskill, where the train will rise above ground and travel through Onehunga, Mangere and to the airport. The selected 24-kilometre route will see trains running every five minutes from up to 18 stops and will be able to carry 15,000 passengers per hour at peak times. Auckland Light Rail will cut travel times by up to half. It will offer affordable and consistent services every five minutes. So you won't need to plan out your journey. You'll just turn up and go. They're expecting over the next 30 years there'll be something like another 150,000 more people living along that route. It's about a quarter of all the growth Auckland's expecting. Now, and so the idea of this is not its not light rail to the airport. It happens to end at the airport in the same oh. way that, you know, the western line ends in Swanson. It's not like it's a rail line to Swanson. It just happens to end there. <laughs> this is a rail line that will connect the biggest employment uh, areas in the city, which are the central city and the airport precinct, um, and a whole lot of suburbs, Eden Park, uh, a whole lot, as I say, a whole lot more people living there. So I've been talking about for so long, it's yeah. happening. Uh, game changer? Um, it, it should be a game changer. Light Rail has also accelerated plans for a second harbour crossing. A city centre tunnel will be required when the successful North Shore busway runs out of capacity, which will be as soon as the early 2030s potentially. Consultation on options for a public transport centred alternative Waitemata Harbour Crossing will commence later this year and decisions on the preferred option will be made next year. The plan is eventually to have a fully connected network, London style, with trams, trains, buses and ferries linking Tamaki Makoto from the north, south, east and west. One of the things that they need to understand is actually how does that connect to the North Shore? How does that have a crossing or how is it going to work so that we know that they're connecting into it properly. And there's some big questions on the harbour crossing around, does it include space for cars? How do you get bikes across the harbour? Those sorts of questions need to be answered as well. And I mean, what have they said about how we're going to pay for this? This will require a significant Crown investment. We're continuing to work with Auckland local government uh, to work through what their contribution to the project might be. And we have also confirmed today that value capture will be a part of this project. That's where people who might make significant financial windfall gains also make a contribution, and that's common in overseas projects. It's estimated that could be 2 to $3 billion of the total contribution over time. The scale of investment is far too big to come out of existing transport budgets. Um, we, we currently spend 3 to $4 billion a year on, on transport, not including the, the stuff that the government are building separately from that, like the City Rail Link, like some of the, the recently announced NZ upgrade program, so there's quite a bit in there. Um, so this is this is on a scale quite quite outside of all that. And we'll look more at the huge price tags soon. But first, how did we get here? Well, it all started with a debate between Auckland Council and central government over the city rail link. The council wanted it, the latter didn't, and so central government carried out a study to see whether more buses could solve the problem. The government ultimately, when they released it, dismissed their own study. But what it ultimately said was, not only do we need the city rail link, but the buses won't be enough. We have too many buses in the city centre in the future, and we need to find a way of addressing those. It didn't say how to address them. It just said we need to find that. That's going to be another problem as well as we need to build the city rail link. 
So if we fast forward to 2015, uh, Auckland Transport sort of surprised everyone by announcing that they've been working on a scheme to, to build light rail in Auckland as, as a solution to this bus problem. And that was to put light rail on Dominion Road as well as a few other roads on the, on the isthmus. Uh, such as Sandringham and, and Mount Eden and Manukau roads. Mm-hmm. Um, those, some, those were those sort of long-term plans. And that was partly to fill what, what they call a void in, in rapid transit in the, the central customers. And rapid transit is defined as is high frequency, high reliability, and largely dedicated right-of-way that we see, for example, with the rail network, with the Northern Busway. There had previously been discussions around how we serve the airport, whether it be heavy rail, light rail, and various other things. Previously, had been chosen to use the existing, extend the existing rail network from Onihanga, uh, but what they found was that, as they did more research on that, uh, it was going to cost a huge amount of money. It wasn't as easy as it was initially thought, and if we're building light rail anyway, we're already sort of partway there, and it was actually cheaper, a cheaper outcome. Plus, we got a connection through other parts of Auckland that we don't currently have, and so that was considered to be a better overall option and cheaper as well. Mm. And so around 2016, they, they changed the, the plan to be to be this longer route, uh, focusing on the airport. That itself brought about some some concern from, from some people, uh, but it did stack up and Auckland Transport started proceeding with that. When Auckland Transport initially announced uh, light rail, the government, like they had been with, with City Rail, were pretty sceptical. Uh, they didn't want to do it. They even went, and once the, the airport park came in, went to the point of doing their own study on can buses be an alternative? Uh, that study ultimately found that buses w- were a short-term alternative, but they weren't a long-term. And within you know, 20 to 30 years, we would need light rail anyway. It then became a question of not if, but when. And you know, if, we get, if we know we're going to need light rail in 20 years' time, do we just build it now? And so, Considering it's going to take so long to build anyway, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and that, was, that was under the national government and, and transport minister at the time, Simon Bridges, said he, uh, he agreed that light rail was the long-term solution here. So knowing that was the case, it really changed that discussion. And uh, light rail then got picked up in the by-election for Mount Roskill, which now Transport Minister Michael Wood won uh, by Phil Goff in his, in his election campaign. And then in 2017, Labor also adopted light rail as part of their overall platform and said that they would get it built. So there's been a lot of political discussion around light rail and sort of suggesting it's this ideological thing from, from the government, from the current government. But the reality is that both parties have supported it at some point in the past, and it was it didn't, it didn't come out of a political party. It came out of actually analysis by Auckland Transport. Um, the government passed took, took the project over from Auckland Transport and passed it on to Waikatahi to deliver. They started mm. working through that, and, and in 2018, they started engaging with the industry to say, "Well, actually, we want to start building this. How do we do it? Who wants to be involved?" Type of thing, and, and getting that early engagement going on, and then. Late 2018, early 2019, the Superfund announced that they want to build it. The Superfund has announced that it lodged a proposal last month. It says it was unsolicited. Uh, this proposal has a Canadian consortium which would finance and build the lines which are on Auckland's 10-year transport plan. And so the project is now being thrown open for other companies to pitch for over the rest of the year. They have a scheme that how they would, how they would pay for it. it was through effectively a rent-to-own type deal. So even though Superfund would be digging out of its own pockets initially, it would receive deferred payments from the government, guaranteeing steady income. The government was quite enamoured by the idea, uh, by supporting the Superfund in a way, and also getting light rail delivered separately. 
and they embarked on on this process that they called it the twin track process, which was to say actually how do we who who should deliver light rail? Should it be our transport agency who delivers it, or should it be a super fund along with the, their Canadian partners? Now, one part of that was that the super fund actually wanted to deliver this as a, a quite different project, which was not light rail like had been proposed running through the surface on Dominion Road, but uh, what we call light metro. And light metro is a it's similar in some ways, but it uses a in this particular regard, it's a bit like Vancouver or Copenhagen. They, they use a, an automated train. It's a bit smaller typically than, than a, a trains we might see in Auckland and Wellington, but they, they're automated. They can run really high frequencies and they're on a dedicated right of way. So that would require either to be fully tunneled, or tunneled, elevated, or completely separate from any any pedestrians and traffic and what have you. So mm. no, no intersections at all. They, they went through this twin track process with Waka Katahi and Superfund competing against each other. Uh, Waka Katahi ultimately changed their plan to be quite similar as well. But when it came to the, to the decision in 2020, New Zealand first blocked it. The Auckland light rail project looks dead in the water for now, with coalition partner New Zealand First refusing to back it before the election. The party opposes the cost. This is set to be a multi-billion dollar project. It opposes the scale and the potential involvement of that Canadian bank, the Canada Infrastructure Bank, working in partnership with the Superfund. The documents released show that, that had they gone ahead with, with the preferred option, it would have been the Superfund deal that would have won. And then... Government are looking pretty silly now. They haven't delivered anything in three years' time. They had been ready to sign off contracts before this all this whole thing kicked off. Mm. And last year, around about, around about April, Michael Wood announced that they would kick off this new process, which would look at what the options are for light rail going forward. And that narrowed it down to a couple of options. One is light rail, and the other was light metro. So, do we do we, which which of these do we build? And then do we build it on Dominion Road or Sandringham Road with two with the key considerations? There's, there's other work that they did around, they've done around this to, to look at the, the options, but those are the sort of key options, which mode and which, which corridor do we use. And the, the reason Sandringham Road has come into the picture here is because of Kyungo Aura. And there's a huge amount of housing that Kyungo Aura, or land that Kyungo Aura owns, particularly around Wesley, at the south, southern end of Sandringham Road. And the government are really keen to tie the like, rail in with that housing project so they can get the benefits of, of that transport and housing integration. Now, arguably, and, and that, that, that housing could happen anywhere, but because the government can't guarantee the private sector will deliver it, they want that certainty that there'll be housing delivered alongside that this project. And so, therefore, that's, that has helped sway the, the discussion towards that Sandringham Road route. Right, and, and it's not because of all the backlash from the Dominion Road business owners when oh, I was suggested there? That's absolutely been part of it. The Dominion Road Business Association's manager, Gary Holmes, thinks the plan could go horribly wrong. If we were to go with the trams down Dominion Road at street level, uh, that would end up killing many of the businesses along Dominion Road due to the disruption uh, caused during uh, construction. They have chosen a more expensive option than light rail, and one of the factors... Uh, although they're not saying it's a big factor, but clearly one of the factors is that by putting it underground as a board tunnel, not cut and cover where they just dig up the street, a board tunnel, they will just be able to do a lot of this work without disrupting the central city. The government have been, I guess, a bit hurt in a way by, by the, the complaints that have occurring you know, relatively frequently in the city centre around the city rail link construction. 
so trying to avoid that disruption. But the reality is a couple of hundred million dollars for mitigating disruption and you know keeping these businesses going is relatively small compared to billions of dollars to go on a different route on a, and in a tunnel. And so that's really the challenge here is that is that scale of of disruption really worth all the cost of going to uh, building a tunnel? Because what were the other options that the working group looked at and then presented to cabinet? Yeah, so there were there were three key options that they presented. One was a surface solution, so that would have run along Queen Street and down Dominion Road, and then along State Highway 20 through Ronihanga, and then down through Mangere to the airport. Uh, the other option was a light metro option, so that's like that, that Vancouver or, or Copenhagen model with automated trains using the same route as what this light rail option would choose with, with a, a slight difference in Mangere. Um, but that would be fully grade separated, so that would run with automated trains and the rest of it and wouldn't touch the streets at all. So those were the, there were, those were the three options. There was light rail, light metro, and then this, this hybrid option between the two, which was um, in some ways I would call the worst of both worlds because you've got all the cost of building the tunnels with all the downsides of having running at least part on the street as well, which, which limits limits capacity of the of the entire network. So I think that the challenge that, that we that we've got with the outcome is that in some ways you could say that, that two good projects are better than one you know, one great project. And not that I think this is currently in its current form a great project, but but for the same price of, of this one line, we could have effectively built two lines. Matt Lowry's pick would have been light rail on the surface the whole way to the airport. It is cheaper, but it would have also allowed us to do these other things as well. You know, Auckland has a bunch of projects that we need, but it's not just Auckland that needs this, this investment. You know, Wellington are talking about light rail as well. Uh, we, we need to do things for Christchurch and Tauranga and Hamilton and other cities as well. We, we need you know, some large-scale investments in a lot of our cities to give people options to, to get around that aren't in a car, particularly if we're to meet our goals around emissions. Um, so we, we have to get these investments in place to give people options. If we had gone for the surface option, what could we do with the rest of the money? Yeah, so that was enough money in the, in the difference between the, the, the chosen option and, and the surface option to build 15 plus kilometres of, of light rail somewhere else in Auckland. Now, to put that in perspective, that could have delivered light rail Motor, along the Northwestern Motorway to Westgate, which is part of the what is part of our plan. Alternatively, we could have built light rail on Sandringham Road as well as the Minion Road, which would have served the, the Kyangora development, and we could have built on top of that a, a, a route across the city, so from roughly from Avondale through to Penrose type thing. Um, you know, we, we could have built a whole bunch of, of routes, and those would have actually had a wider benefit for the for the transport network, not just this one corridor. And when you compare our projected spend on this to other countries... Even the surface-level option that, that the government produced was probably the most expensive light rail in the world. Typically, these projects overseas, from what, from what I've seen, run from 60 to $150 million per kilometre to build, which is a, you know, a lot of money, but, it, but what's proposed here is, in today's dollars, close to $300 million per kilometre, so almost mm. twice what even the high end of other cities are. The only city that's comparable to that has been... And Sydney, which has a lot of known issues around poor contracting and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. But the, the, the cost even of the surface option was out of scale for, for what other projects are internationally. And then we've, we've hit on top of that again with, with this large tunnel option that, that we're building. Why is it so expensive for us? 
there's a couple of things. So typically projects in New Zealand are more expensive. Part of that's just due to our location. You know, we are far away. It's hard to get people in, particularly now with, with the COVID restrictions. But even before that, um, you know, there's a lot of big projects going on in Australia that are very similar that use exactly the same skill sets. And they'll pay, you know, some of them times they'll pay twice as much for, for their staff. So it's very hard to keep skilled staff here in New Zealand at the wages that we're paying. And then, and, and then there's just the cost of getting the raw materials to do it, all the, the concrete and steel and all the rest of it costs more in New Zealand. And, and so it's worth noting that these costs, you know, this $14.6 billion cost, and now that's inflated to the year it's actually going to be built. The real cost is, is to, you know, compared to today is more like $10.3 billion. Uh, but that's what's called a P50 estimate, which means that there's a 50% chance it will go, that the cost will go up in the future when it's actually built. And there's also a 50% chance it will go down. But given the complexity with tunnels and, and all the rest of it, the geology and all that, there's a really good chance that, that we're more likely to be on that, that high side. And in fact, we saw that exact thing happen recently you know, last year with the, when the government announced they had changed a bunch of projects with the NZ Upgrade program, which was what when the bike bridge was announced and a bunch of other projects that, that all blew out quite considerably. Some of them doubled in price, quite a lot of them actually. And that was all because of you know, these construction pressures and, and they, were, they were using the same you know, P50 estimates. People are nervous that six, six months or a year's time that the project might be cancelled, particularly if costs increase, which is a, you know, quite a high likelihood. So that there's concern that actually, is this even real? There's now quite a bit of work to, to be done on a, on a detailed business case, and it's going to be very, you know, and then, then we've got to do consenting and we've got to do uh, detailed design and, and a whole bunch of other things. So there's, there's as many years away before we'll actually see, even if it all goes ahead, as many years away before we'll see uh, shovels in the ground and, and construction starting. And I guess one of the risks with all that is you know, there's potentially a change in government in the future. Who, you know, we don't, obviously, we don't know. That, that will all change the, the equations on this. And could well mean that yes, this is just a that, that this announcement does get cancelled. You know, depends on, on how long all that takes. The challenge with, with these things is always that the, the the need to serve Wesley, to serve Dominion Road, to serve Mangere, all those needs still exist, even if we don't build this project. So we still have to build something, and we, we have to work out how to deliver something that will that will address those issues. Saying we, we won't build light rail, or we will build light rail, whatever it might be, we, we have to have a solution there and end. Often what we see from people is we, we shouldn't build this, but not necessarily give an alternative as to what we should build. And that's, I think, really critical is that we get a viable alternative. That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and is a joint newsroom and RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every weekday on any podcast platform. Jeremy Ansel engineered this episode, Alexia Russell produced it, and thanks to Matt Lowry. Matewa.